Rick Rule. Rick Rule is a favorite of the Real Vision community. If you'd like to meet Rick and get a masterclass from the master himself, you'll want to head to the Rick Rule Symposium on Natural Resource Investing in Florida, July 23 to 27. You'll get access to industry insiders, elite bullion dealers, gold council members, and uranium pros. Just head over to realvision.com slash rick for tickets. That's realvision.com slash rick. What's going on, guys? It's Ash Bennington. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Before we get started with this show, every day this week, we're talking about our new platform, Real Vision 2.0. We released a video last week, the past, present, and future of Real Vision. Uh, Ralph Powell coming on and talking directly about all the things we're doing with our platform. As I said, we're extremely excited about it. It's a huge leap forward for us. I think of this as being the moment that Real Vision moves from being a content business to being a platform business. I know that's a bold statement and these are small first steps, but we're moving in that direction and it's just incredibly, incredibly exciting. If you haven't seen the video yet, if you're a Real Vision member, go check it out on the platform. As I said, it's called the past, present and future of Real Vision. Uh, this is about our platform and what we're doing. Let me just read a couple of comments for you here to give you a little bit of context. These are comments from our members that I think will explain a little bit about how we think about what we're doing and how our viewers uh, see it. Uh, goosebumps of excitement, fucking awesome. Thanks team. The work to get here would have been epic, well done, and a massive thank you for making all this possible. I'm so grateful to be a Real Vision member. That comes to us from Matt P. Jake K says, this is epic confirms everything I've always believed about why I'm investing in Real Vision. I've never viewed membership fees as an expense. They're an investment in an education and in a distributed network that will compound throughout my life. Now with the platform, I can consistently invest in building a network and having the tools to continue my investing and educational journey. Finally, from Adrian M., this is going to be basically a Real Vision dashboard tool. Wow, he actually starts out by saying, wow, this is going to be a Real Vision dashboard tool. This is awesome and helpful, so I don't have to keep WordPad handy to save all my notes from the investing course. Stoked for this, and the bloopers were hilarious. Yes, the bloopers were hilarious. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about a feature today, and that is the tools that Adrian is referring to. You know, this is a relatively simple feature, the ability to take embedded notes within the platform, but I think what it represents is absolutely enormous. Uh, some of our other uh, viewers talked about it there in some of those comments, but it's this idea, as Raul has framed it, of moving uh, from uh, into this new world where it's about knowledge, tools, and network multiplied together. And I think that's really the power of what we're building here. Uh, again, I think these are first steps, and you can sort of start to see the trajectory about where we're going with this. You know, you put in a relatively small feature you have members who are using that feature. They request further features. You build it. It amplifies the knowledge. It amplifies the network. And the tools just continue to build. Anyone who's been in or around software development knows that you often start out very simple and you build much bigger tools as you begin to develop the code base, develop the users uh, who then request more features. It's just an incredibly exciting moment. As I said, I think of it from moving 
from a content business into a platform business. Let me tell you how all of this matters to you in the specifics about what we're doing right now at Real Vision and how we're going to be moving forward. Prices at Real Vision, like a lot of other things in our economy, are going to go up in the coming months. But if the great news is this. If you're already a Real Vision member, you can lock in your current membership at 50% off or level up uh, to a higher level men membership uh, for similar prices before July 24th. Uh, so go and check it out. It's at realvision.com forward slash level up. That's realvision.com forward slash level up, all lowercase, uh, to get to that site. And you can see where the levels are today, where you think you might fit in. Go check it out. Get the information you need to continue your journey with Real Vision. Okay, guys, with all of that said, joining me today is Marco Santori, Chief Legal Officer of Kraken. Marco, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, we've wanted to have you on for a long time. Obviously, a tremendous amount happening in this space in the legal, regulatory, and compliance domain. Major ruling on Ripple last week out of the Southern District of New York. Big picture, Marco, how do you think about where we are right now? Uh, it has been a big week. The ruling was big. Um, it's big in our view primarily because it brings us clarity. It's something that Kraken's been advocating for since the very beginning of this regulatory discussion. I've been in crypto for over a decade now. Uh, you can't count the gray hairs yet, but I assure you they're there. Um, it's something that we've been we've been advocating for since uh, since since the beginning of this conversation. Unfortunately, uh, here in the U.S., it's probably one of the most confusing environments for innovators to create, to build, to hire, to invest. Uh, but the ruling is, in our view, one step toward that clarity. Um, we have, you know, dueling regulators. We have dueling parties in Congress. Um, but what we have today is an independent, neutral arbiter uh, now, uh, as of as of just last week, who has really. Um, refocused the discussion away from assets, away from the question of is a particular token a security and asked us to zoom out and look at what the law always looks at, which is the practical realities of each particular transaction. It is a, a watershed moment uh, in the world of crypto law. Yeah, it's interesting. We should show this tweet. Uh, this is from uh, this is from you personally, uh, from your account uh, on Thursday. This morning, the federal court of the Southern District of New York ruled that XRP is not a security. As such, just a few minutes ago, Kraken re-enabled trading in XRP for U.S. users. It sounds like this was something that was ready to go in the event that the ruling went in the direction that it did. Talk a little bit about how you guys think about this over at Kraken. Obviously, uh, this was something that you were prepared to flip the switch on, so to speak, uh, the moment the ruling came out. Talk a little bit about the context and how you think about it from the perspective of the business of Kraken. Yeah, well, uh, we do try to be prepared at Kraken, particularly on the legal team. Uh, the legal team is just over 50 now, five zero, so we've grown considerably over the years. We've had to grow because of the tumultuous world of crypto uh, regulation. Um, and the ruling on XRP has been long awaited. So we didn't want to be caught flat footed. We knew it was coming. We wanted to know what our alternatives would be. So if you were to, you know, look inside, uh, our, our own internal discussions, you would see charts and you would see, um, contingency plans, communications plans. You would see everything that, uh, you know, a sophisticated 
multinational tech company ought to have to prepare for something like this. Um, and you play that against the backdrop of Kraken's probably number one rule around supporting new assets is that Kraken does not support securities. You do not support trading in securities in the United States uh, or, or anywhere else for that matter. It just so happens the US has a much more confusing landscape than most uh, than most countries as to what is a security. So the legal team has to work hard. The compliance team has to work hard to put in place these contingency plans. Yes, we were ready to press the button. XRP has, uh, you know, enjoys a significant amount of uh, volume uh, in terms of trading around the world. Uh, it has not enjoyed that and Kraken, uh, at Kraken in the US because we delisted it um, long ago, uh, but we were, uh, I should say, we we uh, we disabled trading for it long ago. Um, listing is just shorthand, right? It doesn't, it's not really a good uh, way of describing what crypto exchanges do. But since we disabled trading long ago, we, we have kept an eye on the case. We've kept an eye on a number of different cases for a number of different assets, and we were ready to pull the trigger. So let's talk a little bit about this specific ruling from U.S. District Judge Annalisa Torres. Uh, you know, I think the first time I ever heard of the Howey test was actually at a conference that you were speaking at uh, back in 2017. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the specific ruling uh, and how exactly this frames out what we've seen, the ruling from this judge. Yeah, it is, like I said, a watershed ruling. Um, yes, because of its potential impact um, across the market, but also because of intellectually, because of the way that it approached the problem. Um, you have, uh, you know, your audience is made up of financial professionals and traders and a lot of people who will look at these assets a little bit like ticker symbols sometimes. Uh, I think that's the wrong way to look at them. And I've been saying, I think that's the wrong way to look at them. Uh, the ju uh, Judge Torres uh, in the Ripple decision confirmed that these things are not like stocks. In fact, we've been asking the wrong questions about them all along. Over the last five or six years, right, the conversation uh, around the regulation of exchanges, the regulation of new token projects um, has largely been around, uh, has largely focused on the question, what assets are securities? Judge Torres told us last week, that's the wrong question to ask. Um, and the more I read it, the more it sinks in intellectually, the more sense it makes. The Howey test, right? This is this is the test to determine what is an investment contract, an investment contract being a kind of security and something that U.S. exchanges should not be supporting trading in. Um, the investment contract question is not about assets. That's the very first thing the judge says in, in her decision. And she says it plainly. Uh, she says it clearly. And the way that uh, she goes about it from a rhetorical perspective and an intellectual perspective makes a lot of sense. She said, look, the Howey test was about these orange groves, right? They were the subject of an investment contract. The groves themselves were not the investment contract. And she applies that same reasoning to digital assets. She says specifically that these assets are not, uh, that these assets uh, are just alphanumeric strings. They are not contracts, uh, schemes, or arrangements in and of themselves. So we have to look at every particular contract scheme or arrangement. And that's how we get to the ruling. She goes, uh, that's how we get to the decision in the case. 
She goes through each particular transaction that the Ripple defendants uh, allegedly engaged in, and she rules as to whether or not those transactions are investment contracts. And that's the framework that we have to take uh, under this ruling, right? That's the framework we have to take to each new um, to each new case. So let's zoom the camera out, give a little bit of context here. I suppose it all begins with the Securities Act of 1933. Uh, the Howey decision some 13 years later, I believe, was a more specific refinement of what is and is not an investment contract. Uh, there are four central prongs of the Howey test, an investment of money from a common enterprise with the expectation of profit to be derived from the efforts of others. This is something that's literally uh, been the sort of keystone or touchstone for this uh, since uh, the end of the Second World War uh, in terms of assessing whether or not something is or is not a security. It sounds like what you're saying is that Judge Torres reframed this here, uh, not describing the actual nature of the assets, but the nature of the transactions. Is that roughly correct? If not, how do you think about it? That That's right, but I wouldn't call it a reframing. I mean, I, I think what you... I, I should say she didn't reframe the Howey test. She reframed our right. thinking around the Howey test, right? She brought us back to what the Howey test has always looked at. Uh, we as, as, as an industry have become hyper-focused on the asset itself. Um, and be because the, the existence of these assets has driven so much economic value. Um, but from a legal perspective, right, the Judge Torres did what courts have done with Howie since the beginning of Howie, right? Since uh, since the Second World War, as you put it, um, which is to which is to look at the economic realities of a particular transaction, not to the technological peculiarities of a particular innovation. Um, so the reframing was a reframing of us as participants mm -hmm. of the market, not of the Howie test. I, this is why I think you know there have been commentators who have said this. Ruling is susceptible to uh, appeal. Of course, it's susceptible to appeal. I can't speak as to how she weighed the different facts and how the court weighed the different facts um, against the law. But this core interpretation of how we should look at uh, the trading of digital assets under the Howey test, to me, rings true under the law. So what is this new economic reality or the framework for the economic reality, as opposed to sort of hyper-focusing on the technological peculiarities, as you put it, of the assets themselves? What's the broader context? How did she frame this in her ruling? And how do you think about the new world that we find ourselves in after the ruling? It's a good question. There are, uh, 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 crypto is a big tent now right it's not just um it's not just exchanges who are involved it's not just uh crypto projects who are creating new token-based uh, networks uh it's not just investors it's not just miners i mean you can you know the um the the list goes on and and probably the largest category on that list is the users of these assets the people who are actually using them um in day-to-day -day life uh, and this decision will have uh, a different impact for each of them. I won't speak specifically to what it means for exchanges, as you can imagine. This is a this is this is an environment where we have to try to be careful, at least about uh, about what we say. Um, but I can speak to uh, what it says about um, a couple of these categories. The first 
of them is is the sort of the token projects, the projects that are um, creating new blockchain, uh, new token-based networks. What can they do with their tokens? The judge right off the bat said that when you sell these tokens um, under uh, in exchange for promises to improve the value of um, to improve the value of the network and thereby improving the value of the tokens, it's pretty likely those things are securities and that um, the in in the case of Ripple, um, those early sales, the judge said, were securities, not sales of securities. Keep that in mind, right? The token itself was not the security in that instance. The judge didn't rule out the possibility that a token itself could be a security Right? You could imagine a smart contract that itself could trade as uh, a security. But in this case, the judge uh, said that this is the, that the transaction was the security. So um, right. and, and that bit is going to proceed um, is going to proceed through the through the course of the trial. <clears throat> but there's an important implication of that, right? Just because something happens downstream of that transaction, doesn't make that thing that happened downstream involving a security because the asset that survives that transaction in time is not itself a security. And that is a, that is the real important impact of this, of this ruling is that the other participants who, um, who will, uh, who engage with that token aren't necessarily engaging with a security. In fact, they probably are not, but what they do with that asset, could be a securities transaction depending on its facts and circumstances. So in the simplest sense, it was the manner of sale and not the underlying characteristic of the asset themselves that made it a security in, in, in terms of the ruling that we got from Judge Torres. It's funny, you know, there were there there were practitioners early on. Um, Josh Ashley Clayman was one of these uh, practitioners who was, who was talking about um, the importance of the manner of sale. Uh, and the judge here, uh, really focused, focused deeply on the manner of sale. And we didn't, you know, none of us really early on were flying this flag of each transaction should be analyzed separately. We really were all hyper-focused on the tokens. I can't think of a single practitioner uh, who early on was thinking in the same way that the court thought here, um, because we were probably because we were so deep in the, in, in, you know, token-based thinking. Um, but manner of sale was critical to the to the court's ruling here. Um, manner of sale, all of the which is to say, all of the uh, trappings of the transaction, all the promises made, the amount of consideration, uh, the discussion between the parties, uh, those, those those are critical. But the real uh, target of the analysis is is what's called the economic realities. Of the transaction, so yes, the the the, the things that that the participants said to each other, the the manner in which the sale was conducted is important. But the courts will always look to uh, the economic realities right. of the transaction and of, of each particular transaction, and that was the specificity that the court in Ripple insisted upon. You know, it's so interesting when that ruling uh, came out. I was actually on here air here. Uh, with this show, uh, talking with three hedge fund managers, all of us non-lawyers, I should say. Uh, and I remember it was uh, someone from Hyperion Decimus, someone from DACM, 
someone from ARCA. And the the four of us were kind of baffled as this was coming out. I'm literally reading it off the screen uh, on, uh, you know, on, on Coindesk as the ruling is coming out. Uh, and one of the hedge fund managers uh, used a very technical legal term. He described it as back assword in the sense that it was shocking to him that essentially, uh, I guess, a certain way of looking at this ruling, you could say, wow, this is really bizarre. You see institutional investors uh, seeing this as a security, but retail investors not. I think that it, it confused a lot of the non-lawyers in the audience, at least. Right, right, rightfully so. But that's what you get when you apply ancient law to new technology. Right, you get these these um, discordant outcomes because that's not what the creators of the laws ever ever intended. Right, just simply too much time has passed, and so that's why that's one of the reasons you you're you're not hearing me say today, well, we have our new law, we're happy, let's move along on the basis of this new law. What you're hearing me say is that at minimum to, to today we have clarity we didn't have a month ago. Um, I'm not making a normative, right? I'm not making a normative, uh, statement on that. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm saying at least we have some more clarity is the outcome, the right outcome from, um, this sort of preservationist perspective do where, where we want to, we want outcomes to preserve the gut intuitions that we have around the purposes of the laws. Well, you don't, you, you, you don't hear me saying that. Um, there are efforts, there are policy efforts, um, both in the Senate and in Congress, uh, to address some of these, um, anomalous outcomes. Um, and, you know, we don't think the conversation is over. Um, we think that the conversation is, is really just beginning, but at a minimum, as that conversation continues, we do have some guidance, uh, from the courts, but make no mistake, we should, we should still be focused on on the legislative, um, the the legislative efforts to close these 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 strange anomalous regulatory gaps. Talking about the continuing conversation and discordant outcomes, it would certainly be a discordant outcome if we weren't able to get our viewers involved in this conversation. Put your questions down in the chat. We're going to ask the best ones on air. Remember, Real Vision members take priority. If you're not a Real Vision member, go sign up at realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's free and will remain so. We are committed to bringing this kind of high quality content to you for free on a continuing basis. Uh, anyway, this is where you're going to be able to watch Real Vision's Ral Pal's Adventures in Crypto Before Anyone Else. A new episode premieres every Friday. First question comes to us from the Real Vision website. It's from Roger. Uh, how does Kraken decide which tokens to list and which tokens not to list in the US? I know you've said that you don't think listing is the best metaphor uh, for selling tokens, but which tokens to uh, sell and which tokens not to sell? Uh, and is the US the only country where Kraken limits token availability? Some great questions from Roger. Uh, the U.S. is not the only country where we limit token availability. There are thousands, tens of thousands. I mean, I, I don't know. Nobody really knows probably how many actual uh, tokens there are available uh, for that could potentially be traded out there in the world. But out of that enormous group of assets, we 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 select only a few to support on Kraken. Um, and we do that via a few different methods. One is, of course, the business case. Do we believe there's actual interest from our users in this asset? Uh, once once that has been established, um, and and that's the that by far is the is the greatest 
um, is the greatest uh, filter that we have on on new assets. Um, once that's been established, then the then the asset undergoes a robust compliance review, um, where the asset is reviewed for um, uh, for compliance with sanctions laws, um, for politic uh, perhaps politically exposed persons being involved in the project. Um, we then review it for um, uh, for cybersecurity. We 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 look at the asset to ensure that it meets our standards for the thing being a token that works on a network. Right? We don't want to support a token that our own implementation would fail for. Um, uh, and then it goes to legal review, right? But at that point, you know, we haven't established that the token is good or bad, that you should buy it or that you shouldn't buy it. We're neutral in that sense. We are a neutral platform, uh, a neutral market, a, a neutral market, I should say. But make no mistake, the token does undergo uh, a legal analysis as well um, as the final step. And one of those analyses is to ensure that it is not a security in the United States, um, that it's not something we shouldn't be able to trade um, that it, uh, in um, the United Kingdom, in EU, in Canada, in other countries. So no, the US is not the only place where we, um, where we review assets and prohibit assets from being, uh, from, from being supportive on the platform uh, globally. Talking of the U.S. and the broader problem that you raised earlier, the challenges uh, of applying essentially ancient legislative or uh, I should say legal precedents uh, to older legislation. Talk a little bit about the legislative process here in the United States as well uh, as the legal process that we see, something called the major questions doctrine uh, about how these administrative law issues shake out. Yeah, so you've heard me talk about the um, about the efforts underway in Congress to decide how digital assets ought to be treated as a matter of American policy. Uh, it should come as no surprise that, that, that I believe this is a major question for Congress. Um, in the United States, we do not uh, that we do not have an agency state in the United States as much as the the cynical among us would say the United States is run by bureaucrats. Uh, the Constitution uh, prohibits this. In fact, uh, the agencies that run so much of our lives today um, were a, a small part uh, of of the government, uh, of the federal government, in the minds of the framers of our Constitution in the in the United States. By the way, All we should say this is a we should say Congress. This is a critique that we hear, particularly from folks who are right of center, this idea of the agency state, this notion uh, that essentially agencies have usurped the power in the view of some uh, of the legislative branch. You, you, you do hear it um, from, from, from those who are right, right of center, right? But, I, but um, re regardless of where you are on, on, on the political spectrum, it, is a, it should be a nonpartisan principle that Congress right. makes the laws. Congress makes the laws in, in the United States. But of course, Congress is slow to move and the agencies are very well staffed. The agencies, by and large, uh, have 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 sophisticated professionals who understand what they're what they're regulating. I think for for uh, certainly for the agencies that have been involved in crypto uh, recently, that that is the case. There's no meaningful knowledge gap. There is an opinion gap, right? There is a a, a gap in how we think these things ought to be regulated. But the agencies today 
are moving quickly. The question is, are they moving too quickly? Have they gotten ahead of the intent of Congress and are trying to apply very old laws to very new issues that are major? Not just small issues, small uh, deviance from old established law, but significant new revolutions in, uh, in technology, um, in social interactions, uh, et cetera. That is what the major questions doctrine is after it. The major questions doctrine in principle says, Congress makes the laws, not the agencies. Uh, is this a question big enough that the agencies really shouldn't be tackling it yet? Should they be waiting for Congress to move? Uh, if so, then the agencies uh, should, should not be uh, ad administering their own interpretation of this law. Marco, we could go on for three hours today with this conversation. So much here to talk about, so many important points that you've made. Uh, unfortunately, we're just about out of time. I want to give you an opportunity to give us your final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers with. We've covered a lot of ground. We sure have. Uh, look, I got to say, uh, crypto it seems to have been uh, at, <laughs> crypto for the last 10 years has, has perennially seemed to be at an inflection point. Uh, for those of us who have been around, we keep getting closer and closer and closer to this inflection point where we believe the basket will tip um, and things will never be the same. Uh, I have never felt that way more than I do now, particularly as a lawyer. Uh, it's uh, There's no question that um, things are changing and they're about to change dramatically for crypto. I think they're changing for the better. Marco Santori, thanks for joining us. Pleasure having you on. That's it for today. Make sure to check out our website, realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's free to sign up for our crypto content. Tomorrow, Elaine Lee will be joined by the CEO of Legitimate to talk about Web3 partnerships with real world brands. See you live at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London. Thanks for watching. Have a great day, everybody. Rick Rule. Rick Rule is a favorite of the Real Vision community. If you'd like to meet Rick and get a masterclass from the master himself, you'll want to head to the Rick Rule Symposium on Natural Resource Investing in Florida, July 23 to 27. You'll get access to industry insiders, elite bullion dealers, gold council members, and uranium pros. Just head over to realvision.com slash rick for tickets. That's realvision.com slash rick.